Please take out your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of 1 John, the fifth chapter. It's good to be back in 1 John with you and look forward to being here. We're going to be in this verse for a couple weeks. Now, I know there's some of you who've been to Sunday school with people who were in the early service, and they told you that we're going to get out 15 minutes early, okay? Um, I will not promise to duplicate what happened in the early service. Uh, you know, if, if I can get through everything that I need to get through and we get on time, it's great. Um, but um, just listen, okay? And that's my prayer this morning, that we would take some time to really understand what John meant when he wrote this verse. And it's important for you and I to know what we believe. It's important for us to, to understand that, that we can know for certain. In our world today, there are a lot of different philosophies and ideologies and things that, that people say, and you know, they, they say, well, man, you really can't know. If you want to say that you know that you have eternal life, you're arrogant or you're a Pharisee or you're blinded, and, and nobody can really know that. But that's not true. That's not what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is our authority. Now, John wrote all of this stuff. And if you remember when we started in 1 John, close to a couple of years ago, one of the things that, that John said was his purpose for writing was because the early church was being deceived. And there were people who were sounding good, sounding close, but they were off just a little bit. And we've talked about that. Remember, if I'm off half a degree when I start, I'm off two miles when I get out there. And so it's important that we know what we believe. And John wrote first part of chapter 1, he writes and says, I'm writing you so that you can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And that fellowship is also fellowship with us, that, that we are together in this deal. And John says, remember who we are. Remember who I am writing to you. I'm, I'm somebody who, who walked with Jesus and talked with him and listened to him teach and I ate meals with him and and I slept where he slept, and, and, and I touched him and saw him, and I saw him crucified, and, and I saw him resurrected. John says, remember, I'm not, I'm not just speaking from hearsay. I'm speaking from a knowledge that I know what I'm talking about. And, and because I know Jesus that way, I want you to know Jesus that way. That's why John wrote that. And, and he comes kind of to the end of this passage or the end of this book and he kind of reiterates what he's saying. These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That was his whole purpose in, in writing down. So this morning we're going to look at this and, and what it says not only to the church here that John wrote to, but what it says to you and I, what it says to us about our faith, about how we can know who Christ is. If you have your Bibles open there uh, to 1 John chapter 5, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to start reading in verse 9 for context. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Would you please join me as we pray? Father, I ask you in these next few moments just to speak to hearts. God, I ask you to take us wherever we are at whatever station in life where we find ourselves. 
God, give us ears to hear. Uh, God, into our circumstances, into to the day-to-day aspects of our life, speak to, to the core of our being through your word. God, I pray for your words today. Uh, I pray that your word would speak in power and truth into our life. God, that we would be true uh, to, to what the Bible says. And, Father, that we would understand that, that it is your words for life. God, I ask you this morning just to speak to hearts, to challenge us, to grow us, to mature us. And, Father, make us, shape us into the witnesses that we are to be. And we pray that this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to look at verse 13. We'll probably be in verse 13 for a couple of weeks. I want to come back next week and look at what John talks about and, and what eternal life really means. But John says some things here to the church and ultimately to us that are important for you and I to know. And that the first thing that John says in this verse that is important, it's essential for you and I to grab hold of and to personalize is that my belief is personal. John writes and he says, reading verse 13, uh, these, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Three different times in this verse, John uses the word you. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I've told you before that, that the Greek translations here probably would be uh, better written if we would call them Texan, okay? Because what John is actually saying is, y'all, I've written so that y'all can know. And, and he's, he's writing to everybody in that church, but it's written in a way that it means the group is included in this, but it is the individual who can know, y'all, but also you that you and I can have this personal relationship. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You and I have the opportunity right where we are in the life of faith to know for certain that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what John writes. And, And that's the authority that we bring to our understanding of life and faith and, and, and practice. You and I can know for certain that Jesus Christ truly is Lord of life, okay? John writes that. Now, what we have to understand in that process is, is that the life of faith, while it's written to the whole of everybody who will say or hear, it is specific to the individual. Faith, coming to faith in Christ is not a group project. Okay, coming, coming to faith in Christ, uh, one of these days you individually are going to stand before God Almighty and you're going to give an account of what you've done and he's going to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven or, or something like that? And there's only one answer that's going to matter. The writer of Hebrews 9.27 tells us it is appointed once for man to die and after that the judgment. Every single person, and that word for man means mankind, every single person, every man, woman, boy, child, uh, girl, everybody, Everybody is going to stand individually before God and give an account of this life, and God's going to ask them, why? Why should I let you in? And there's only one answer. It's going to matter. Do you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and your personal Savior? I don't know about you, but my family, I have, you know, of course, Clay's in college now, and he's getting a taste of group projects, and Karen Colton went through school group projects. Laurie went through school group projects. I went through school group projects. I just want to tell you, everybody in my family hates group projects, Okay. Man, we just didn't like them. They just, you know, and the reason was, except for maybe, maybe Colton, uh, we all cared about our grades, okay? And we, we wanted to make good, I, actually, I got to be honest, when I was in college, the first 
three years, I didn't care about my grades, okay? I'd love to tell you that I was a great student, and I wasn't. I didn't care. I just wanted to get out. And, and so I was a lot more like Colton probably than I care to admit uh, in life. But I still hated group projects because I cared enough about doing my work that I'd do a good job, and everybody else cared about groups, and they didn't care about their grade. And so I ended up doing all the work. Everybody else got the grade, you know, and that's the way my kids, they hate group projects. And, you know, sometimes I think we think faith is a group project. It's not. You're not going get to get to heaven because your family made a choice about who they were going to worship in this life. You're not going to get to heaven because you belong to a church that believes the Word of God and preaches the Word of God and teaches the Word of God and tries to hold people accountable to what the Word of God says. You and I are going to stand individually before God Almighty and give an account for this life. Now, John writes and says, y'all have the opportunity. You individually can get there. And it's not just for the elite. Okay? I mean, you might be saying, well, Brother Sean, I, I know, but... Y'all, you, man, that's really for people like John or Peter, Paul, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. I mean, it's for the Daniels of the Bible. You know, God, that's for the the Moses or or the Abraham. That, 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 That people, those people, man, they were the they were the upper echelon of faith. They were the elite. Those are the people that really can know, but but just me, man, I'm not there. No. John's writing to you and saying you, right where you are, can have the knowledge that Jesus Christ alone is Lord of your life and he saved you. The Gospel of Luke 13 chapter, there's a story where some Jews come to Jesus and and they're talking to him and, and what had happened, there were some Galilean Jews who had gone to sacrifice in the temple and Pilate, to make an example of them, has gone into the temple and he killed those Jewish people who were there just to worship. And, and the Bible says that he mixed the blood of the Galileans in with the blood of their sacrifices. And, and so some Jews come to Jesus and they're sitting there saying, what about those, what about those Jews? What about them? I mean, what did they do? Why, what, what, why were they suffering this way? And Jesus stops them. Luke, Luke's 13th chapter, sometimes read it. Jesus stops them and he says, wait a minute. Because, see, the, the Jews were doing exactly what you and I think sometimes. We see some people who are struggling and something's going wrong in their life, something's not good, some, some health problem or, or something else, and we think, man, what did, they, what did they do to deserve what they're going through? We think that, that, that the disciples thought that. They asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I mean, we all think that sometimes, and that's what came up to the Jews. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, those people who were killed offering sacrifices, They weren't any more sinful than anybody else in Jerusalem. Uh, But unless you repent, you're going to perish. And then he goes to the next verse and he talks about those who were building the Tower of Siloam there in, in Jerusalem. And the tower fell. 13 people were killed. And Jesus said, do you think that those people killed building the Tower of Siloam were more sinful than everybody else living in Jerusalem? No, they were just doing, they were just working. They were doing their job. They were just going through life trying to please their boss. That's all they were doing. And the tower fell and killed them. And then he says this, two times in five verses, two times he says, but unless you repent, you will also perish. Eugene Peterson talks about repentance and he says that repentance is the beginning word, the first word in the life of a believer But he also says it's also the last word, that every morning when I get up, there ought to be that attitude of God forgive me for all have sinned. God forgive me. I'm not there yet. There is something that needs to change in my life because you are Christ and because you are Lord. I repent. 
And at the end of the day, Lord, forgive me. There's something in my life that ought to bookend that attitude of repentance that, that I understand the, the, the biblical word, the word for repentance, Peterson continues and says it's this. When the Christian gets to the point that he repents, what he or she is saying is, I am saying no to the ways of the world and I am saying yes to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Repentance. Personal belief is possible when I come to the point of repentance in my life. The second thing that, that this passage teaches, not only is belief personal, but belief is also possible. Look at verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John says, I want you to know. In fact, 43 times in this book that we know as 1 John, 43 times he uses the phrase to know that you may know, that you will know, that you do know. He uses that word 43 times and every single time it means a complete awareness, a beholding, an understanding. So what John is saying is that I can completely know, no doubt, no wonder, no amazement, no waffling. I can know for certain that I have eternal life. How? Because my belief is not in a knowledge. It's not in some facts that your preacher throws out to you. My belief is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's what Paul meant when he, when he wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12 and he, 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 he's writing to Timothy and this is what he says, I know whom I have believed in. I know whom not, I know what I believed about him or I know what I know about him. No, I know whom, the person of Jesus Christ, that, that we have completely entrusted ourselves into his life, into his lordship, into his, his presence and purpose and, and everything about that, that, that I can know that truth and know that that truth is real. There are a lot of philosophies today that will tell you you can't know. And, and see, I believe that this is one of the biggest weapons that Satan uses against the church, is doubt. Because if I'm wondering whether or not I really know, or if I wonder whether or not I'm really saved, or if I wonder whether or not I'm really forgiven, then what I do is I spend all of my life chasing that assurance. I spend all of my waking hours trying to achieve it, or to deserve it, or to earn it, to, to feel like somehow I've piled up enough stuff. And, and so I really believe, Ken, Ken Rogers said that this morning when he walked out. He said, I believe if there was one book that Satan could kick out of the Bible, it would be the book of 1 John. Because that's his biggest weapons, doubt. That's what he uses against us. He doesn't want us to know that we know that we know that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. But he is. If I've repented and I've trusted him and I've given him that, the, the word of God. See, see, my authority is not the opinion of man. My authority is the counsel, the word of God. This book, this becomes the authority for life. And this book says, I can know that he is Lord. I can know him. John says, I wrote this so that you can know him, not just some stuff about him. That you can have fellowship with him. And if I will center in on this book, if I will center in on this truth and, 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 and make that the foundation of my life, then I can own that and possess it. And it begins to be kind of this, this calming, this peace that we talked about. It becomes that on my life. It's what Jesus said. You see, if I spend all my life striving to get 
what Jesus said is a gift, then I've missed it. The Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, the, Jesus is praying. It's in that, that passage of Scripture where he's praying for uh, the disciples and believers and us and himself. And in that 17th chapter, Jesus says, The hour has come, Father. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. All, you have given the Son authority over all flesh that he may give eternal life to all those that you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't say that you might wonder, or you might hope, or you might work towards or work for faith. This is eternal life, that they may know you, God, and the one that you've sent, Jesus Christ. You and I can have that promise, that knowledge. And, 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 and when I do that and, and begin to let that truth change who I am, when it changes the way I work and the way I play, when it changes my hobbies and the way I spend my money, when it changes the way I watch TV and the jokes that I listen to, when it changes by the, the places I go to eat and changes how I eat, if it, if it changes, now I got personal just then, I understand, but if it begins to change all of those things, I can know who he is. And that knowledge, when it changes me, I begin to be the witness that God's called me to begin, be in the beginning. I begin to give testimony through my life. This is the testimony. He who has the Son has life. Eternal life. Life now and then. And, and that's what the Word of God tells us can, can be this thing that we possess. And the way I possess it is this last part. I have to know what I believe. Look at verse 13 again. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I'm going to read you that all the English translations kind of flip this verse around so it reads smoother. But I want to read you how the Greek really, really is, this is really written. These things I wrote to you in order that you may know that life eternal you have to the ones believing on the name of the Son of God. How do I know? Because I believe he's not just a good man. I believe in the person, the name, Jesus. And he's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not just somebody who came. He didn't become the Son of God. You see, there are people today that will teach you that he wasn't the Son of God until he was baptized and at his baptism the spirit descended and he became God's son at that moment and he was God's son for three years until he died and when his body was crucified on the cross that the spirit son of God part went to heaven and this man Jesus died. I'm telling you that is a lie from the pit of hell because from the beginning of time he was and is and always has been the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son of the living God resurrected and seated now at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. That's who he is, and that's who you can know. That's God's promise. That's what he says we can know, and, 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 and that power is available to our life. How? It's when I abandon myself to Christ. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. When I believe 
in or on the name, that, that abandonment, that I just wrap myself around him and say, he's God, and I know him, and he knows me. That's what it takes. But when I do that, there is a promise that comes into my life, and, and, and that promise is that he changes who I am. Do you know what you believe? Man, when you know what you believe, you tell it. You tell it. I mean, go ask people today what they believe about politics. They'll tell you. Some of them shouldn't. I said this in the early service. If you don't know the difference between what a socialist is, you ought not to be allowed to vote until you go back to high school sociology and government and figure it out. And when you figure it out, take the test. If you make a B, we'll give you a card that says you can vote. Okay, they'll tell you what they know, but the reality is you and I who know Jesus aren't telling people what we know about Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. We've been called to be a witness, to tell people this is who Jesus is. Greg Creed is the CEO of Young in, Yum Incorporated, Y-U-M. And Yum Incorporated is the parent company for K K uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Pizza Hut sales the last few years have been lagging. They've not done very good in the, the pizza, you know, Domino's and Papa John's and all those other people are taking a share of the market. And so they've not done very well. And so Greg, Young, uh, Greg Creed earlier this year took the management team for Young, uh, Young Enterprises, locked them in a conference room, all these men and women with degrees in marketing and advertising and, and slogans and, and management, all this stuff. They put them in a room, and he says, you're not getting out of the room until you come up with the strategy to help us address the lagging sales of Pizza Hut. Nine hours later, they came out of the room, and this is what they came up with. Easy is better than good. That was their slogan. Easy is better than good. In other words, in this uber society, you know, in, in, in this generation, okay, this younger generation, the uber, you know, they, they'll, some people, you know, they make their car into a cab and you can call a cab through your phone. And, you know, this generation today that, you know, we have a new disease called text neck. I didn't know if you noticed, knew that or not, but we do. It's all these kids that are walking around like this with their phone and their spine start to take because their head's too heavy, okay? It's true. And their head's so heavy and they're always leaning over, their spine starts to get a hump. It's called text neck. Well, this society, they figured out that easy is better than good. Now, I don't know about you. I'd rather have good pizza. Okay, and, and you know, I, I, I want us to understand faith is not easy. Faith is costly. Faith demands a change. Faith means that in my life, everything goes away and he, Christ, becomes all. Faith isn't easy. 
And God's way is not better. God's way is the best. Period. That's what Paul meant when he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You and I can know personally what it means to have a relationship to Jesus Christ. You and I can know for certain that our faith is real and solid. I don't have to wonder tomorrow when I get up. I don't have to wonder if if my appointment day is this week or my appointment day is 30 years from now. I don't have to live my life wondering what's going to happen one of these days when I die. I don't have to wonder. I can know and I can know because I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Second Peter, Peter writes and says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but he doesn't delay, as some understand delay, but he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish so that all may come to everlasting life. Why has Jesus not come back? Because God's not done yet. And what God wants us to do and what he wants us to understand is that we have a need to reach people for Jesus Christ. And the way we reach people, why God did it this way, I don't know. But the way we reach people, you know, man, it had been so much easier. You know, it says the rocks will cry out and the trees will cry out. You know, maybe it had been easier if if when you drove down the street, it was kind of like a Disney cartoon and the trees just started singing, Jesus is Lord. I think we'd get numb to that. See, I think a bigger testimony is when somebody who was sinful and, and who didn't live their life for God gets their heart changed and their life changed and they begin to tell their friends, hey, I want you to meet someone who died for you that you might have eternal life. That's why God did it that way. And, and it's like I told the early service. I told them, you know, we, we, we filled off the, the outside blocked them off, made them all sit in here, and, and it, was, it was pretty full, you know. It wasn't full enough yet for us to take a rope down, but I told them if they'd fill these two center sections, I'd take a rope off. I'd let, I'd let them sit. We took the chairs out. I'm challenging you, put the chairs back in. I told you last week, we fill this puppy three times, I'll preach three times. We'll do a service at 8.15, 9.30, Because here's the reality, guys. We're not even scratching the surface of reaching the people in Eastland County for Christ. Okay, if you add up all the evangelical churches in Eastland County, every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ from Gorman and, and Rising Star to, to Cisco to, to, to Ranger, add them up, add the people, 18,000 plus people in Eastland County. Any given Sunday, I bet we might have, might have 5,000 people in worship, maybe in all those churches. That's 13,000 people who need to be reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's up to us to tell them that Jesus Christ died for them and he loves them. There's some of you this morning and the honest truth is there's never been a time in your life that you surrendered to that knowledge. You know some stuff about Jesus. But there's never been a time in your life that you really surrendered to lordship. And what you need to do right now is you need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You could have been in the church for a lot of years. 
You could have got baptized. You, you could have joined the church. You can be working and serving and teaching and doing a bunch of stuff. And the reality is there's nothing real in your life. It's knowledge, stuff you know, but you don't know him. And what you need to do right now is abandon yourself to Christ. I trust him alone for my salvation. There, there's some of us here this morning, and we're, we're born-again believers. We know that, man. We, we get up, and we know if today's our day, we're going to heaven. We know if today's our day, we're going we're gonna to hear the Lord say, well done. And we hear that, and we think, really? Eh. He might say, come on in. But well done? No. You got me confused with that guy that sits on the other side of the church. No, I don't. See, your enemy tries to tell you you're not. And God says, if you know my son, you are. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's reward. And there's some of us here this morning that need to settle the doubt once and for all. Tell our enemy he's a liar. Tell our enemy he doesn't know what's going on, that I'm a child of the living God, and I believe in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And maybe you need to come in just a moment to the altar and just settle that doubt once and for all. Or some of you need a church home, and, and you don't have a place. We're supposed to be a part of the body, folks. You cut your finger off, it's still your finger. But it dies if it's not attached to the hand. And the hand dies if it's not attached to the arm. The arm dies if it's not attached to the shoulder. The shoulder dies if it's not attached to the body. We're supposed to be a part. And maybe this is where you need to plug in and help us do those four things. Reach people for Christ. Connect them to the body of Christ. Grow them by building up strong walls of discipleship. Homes, studies, Sunday school, those types of things. And, and then help us to seek every moment of every day of our life to live our life before the Lord. Reach, connect, grow, seek.